So I'm going to share with you something that uh, needs to be told, and I trust is going to be a real help to you, and also it's going to be a, the kind of thing that's going to do something very special for you. I'm wearing all this equipment because I found out they want to record this tonight, so we'll do it that way. When I finished uh, university, and I was going to do my seminary work, well, I had the privilege that summer of being a piano player and a children's worker for an evangelistic team. I came from Buffalo, New York, and I went all the way down to Lexington, Virginia, and I went down there in a tent crusade, and I looked back, and it was really a tremendous experience for me. I had never been in a tent crusade as part of a team, but I was the piano player, and then during the day, we'd have children coming in like mad. We put on a real high-powered program for the kids. Well, I had the privilege of working with a man that was very special and very unusual, he had been in the United States Navy as a lieutenant commander. He was a chaplain. He held the rank of lieutenant commander because he had gone up the line. He was a tremendous Christian. Before he was involved in the Navy, he had been one of the best coaches that they had ever seen in high school. He had a high school team that didn't know what it was to lose. He was one of the best coaches going. He was a man that loved football. He had played it in college, been excellent at it. Now he's doing the high school work, and he hears there's going to be an evangelist, a preacher, coming into town in a special meeting. He wanted nothing to do with the Bible or with preachers. So he got himself a keg of beer, went up to his little cabin in the hills, and decided he was going to stay there a whole week, get himself drunk, and be there so he wouldn't have to listen to any preacher. And he said to me, as he was telling me the story, he said, Wes, I was drunk. I was completely out of it. And he said, in the middle of the night, about near the end of the week, on Friday, he said, I woke up in the middle of the night when I should have been dead drunk. I woke up stone cold, sober as could be. And he said, all of a sudden, the horrible realization, I was not going to make heaven. I was not going to get into heaven. Because I had never done what I knew I should do. He said, I felt I was dying. He said, I, and this big guy, he said, I sat there and I cried. And I said, God, if you'll spare my life, I will go to that meeting tomorrow. I promise you, if you'll just spare me. He said, Saturday night, I walked into that meeting. He said, I had one idea in mind. I was going to go and the invitation was given. I was going to the front and I was going to invite Jesus into my life because I wanted to go to heaven. He said, when the preacher got finished, he said, invitation was given. He said, I got out of my seat way in the back, and I came walking down the front. He said, I stumbled down to that altar, and they had an altar in the church. He said, I knelt. He said, I cried, and I invited Jesus into my life. He said, I became a Christian. He said, when I went to get up, he said, I looked both ways. And there the altar was filled with the entire football team. Every kid in the team, when they saw the coach make this decision, they thought so much of him. They thought what he's doing's got to be right. And they had heard the gospel, and they made this decision. So this is the kind of a man I was working with, dynamite man. Then he got in the Navy. He got a job in the Navy as a chaplain, and he went up the rank, and he was in the Second World War. And he was, he said, when we were on shore, I had a nice group of fellows to preach to, but nothing very big. 
But he said, when we got aboard ship and we headed toward Corregidor or Bertan, where they were going, he said, we got the closer we got to the battlefield, the more uh, men I had in my place until the place was jammed with men. They wanted to hear the truth from the Bible. I said to him, I said, Ted, what would you say was the worst experience you ever had in the service? Because he had been in a lot of action. Well, he said, I know one time it was awful. He said, we were given the order to go in and cut off the dog tags of the servicemen of the United States Army that had been killed in action. He said, we had to go on to one of the islands. And he said, our job was to take off the dog tags. That was their identification that they had on them. They called them a dog tag. We tell who the, who the person was. He said, so many of our men were killed in battle. Our job was to go in and take the dog tags off these men. Two other men were assigned with me. He said, we went ashore. And he was a big guy. He said, we got ashore. I started to pull the boat up. One of my associates fell over in a dead faint. The other guy started to throw up terribly. He said, I grabbed them both, and I threw them back in the boat, and I pushed that boat off, and I headed back to the main ship. Went to the captain. I said, sir, we have got to have gas masks. The stench from the decaying bodies is so horrible, we can't take it. So two other men were assigned because these two men were too sick. He said, we went with gas masks so we couldn't smell anything. We had fresh oxygen. And he said, I had the horrible, grisly task taking off dog tags that were going to be sent back to parents to tell them your boy's been killed in service. He said, that was awful. The other thing he said that I looked back at was awful. We just dropped MacArthur's troops off. We were coming back through the straits. And all of a sudden, the suicide dive bombers of the Japanese Air Force came. These are men who had their... Their one prop jobs, they didn't have jets back then, and one prop job, and they loaded with all the, all the munitions it could take, the dynamite, the bombs, everything it could take, and then they would dive at a ship knowing they themselves were going to die, but they were going to do their best. They were called suicide dive bombers, and they were willing to give their life for their country. And he said the fellows on the boats were trying desperately to hit them in the air because then they'd blow completely apart or they'd miss the ship. But one of those planes hit a destroyer hit what they call the magazine hole, the front of it where all the ammunition for the destroyer was. Blew that thing apart. Over 200 American boys were instantly killed. A lot of them were seriously injured. They set up hospital ships. And he said the hospital ship was set up. Guys were brought in there. Men were dying. Chaplain was called in. One boy was 18 years of age. He didn't have long to live. The chaplain came in, knelt down. Not, my, not the guy I'm talking about. Another chaplain came in, knelt read a little prayer book, said a little prayer, got up and walked out. The captain of the ship was not a Christian man, but he looked at this and he was so mad. He said, is that the best they can do to help a dying boy through this? He said, isn't there a chaplain in this blankety-blank Navy that can tell a boy how to die? And one of the guys said, yes, sir. Lieutenant Commander Fix can do that, sir. He said, get him over here. He said, Ted said, they lowered the boat for me. I went over to this hospital ship. I got aboard. I walked in and there was the 18-year-old boy. He was dying. The whole front of him was gone. He didn't have long to live. He said, I knelt down next to him. He's with my Bible. I told him about Jesus. I told him he was a sinner because the Bible said he was. I told him he couldn't save himself because the Bible said he couldn't. I told him that Jesus had eternal life to give him because the Bible said he did. I told him if he was willing to say, I didn't want, it, didn't want my sin, sorry enough, I'm willing to quit. Because Jesus said, you have to invite Jesus and you become a Christian. He said, that young man said, I want that chaplain. And he said he prayed the prayer and invited Jesus into his life. He said when he was finished, it was like somebody had blown a hole topside and the sun was shining on that kid's face. It just radiated. He said, I've never seen anything like it. The smile on that boy's face. He said, oh, chaplain. 
He said, I held his hand. And I said, do you want me to stay with you to the end? He says, you don't have to, chaplain. I have a better friend now. He said, I walked out, and it wasn't long afterwards they told me he had gone to heaven. I said, boy, that's something else. But he said, you know, Wes, now listen to this, kids. The worst thing I ever saw wasn't in the battle. It was in Norfolk, Virginia, on shore. One of our sailor boys hated a man, hated him so much he laid in wait for him, and he killed him. They put him on trial, found him guilty, and sentenced him to die in the electric chair. Warden called the CO, head man, said, you got a boy here that's going to go to the electric chair. You got a chaplain who want to talk to him? Ted says, I was assigned the job. I went down, talked to the boy, told him about Jesus, how to become a Christian, invite Christ into his life. And the kid then asked me a question. He said, chaplain, would you do me a favor? And he said, if I can, son. He said, would you walk the last mile with me? He said, I looked at the warden. And the warden said, yes, if you want to. He said, I'll be here. He said, that morning came. They had already cut the sides of their legs as they do with the pant legs. They shaved the boy and all the rest as they do, getting him ready for an electric chair. It's going to take his life. He said, and I prayed with the boy, and we walked down that hall. The warden had the, had the chaplain of the, of the penitentiary there reading the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. And as we went by, the guys were reaching their hands out of the death row cells. Goodbye, bud. Goodbye, bud. And he walked down the line. He described what took place. There were a few benches there. There were some uh, reporters. He said, the time came, and he said, I watched the warden. Behind the electric chair was this big, huge wall. I saw the warden stand to the side of the wall so he could see the electric chair, and he could see behind it. He looked at the clock on the wall. When that clock hit the time the judge had assigned for this boy to die, he said, I saw the warden raise his hand and do this. And he described a little bit what took place. Soon, doctor came in, put a stethoscope to the heart, said, I pronounce this man dead. Body was taken out for burial. The warden came up to Ted. He says, do you want to see what goes on behind the board? He said, yes, I'd like to. He said, Wes, I went behind the board, and there were three switches. There was a door. Only the warden knew who the executioner was. Nobody knew who was the man to throw the switches except the warden. That man would come in. That was his job. He did nothing else but that. Came in. There were three switches. He said, when the warden dropped his hand, he pulled the first switch. A light went on. When that light went off, the second one. And that light went off, third one. And that light went off, threw them all back, turned around, walked out. Three charges of electricity had gone through the body. He said, that was horrible to see. He said, to see a young man's life wasted because of his hatred for somebody. But wait a minute. Did you know that boy, with a moment that first switch was pulled, he was instantly unconscious? But there's a story in this book that tells of another execution where he was not unconscious. I want you to hear. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man Jesus unto me as one who perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you find no fault in this man, touching those things wherever you accuse him. No, not yet Herod, for I sent him to him. And he said, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Because he had to release someone at this feast. And they cried out all at once, Away with this man and give us unto us Barabbas. Now listen to this gang. Barabbas, who for certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate tried desperately to get rid of Jesus and not have him killed. And the Bible says, And the people screamed, and they prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence, and he released unto them him who had tried to overthrow the Roman government, committed murder in doing that, was also a robber. 
he was delivered free and Jesus was delivered to death. Now get the picture, kids. This guy Barabbas was like a terrorist today. This man had a history of being a gang leader. He was known for robbery. He had gotten involved in murder. He got involved in kidnapping. History tells us he was one of the worst they had. And finally, he figured he was big enough with his gang that he could take the leadership of Rome, overthrow them, and he'd rule the whole place. Didn't work. He killed some Roman soldiers, but it didn't work. Now, they didn't kill him. They could have easily jammed him with a spear and got rid of him. Uh-uh. They wanted him to pay a price that the Romans knew how to take care of. See, what they would do with their enemies is they would take a Roman gibbet. We call it a cross. They would take a man and strip him naked. They would then tie him as well as nail him to a piece of wood. This Roman gibbet. Their feet and hands. And then this man would hang there for hours in excruciating pain, slowly his life would ebb from him and he would die. Now, if this was a terrible prisoner like Barabbas, what they would do is they would take this man, strip him to the waist, tie his hands up in front of him and bend him over. Then they would take a whip that had pieces of flint and stone in it and they would take this long whip, wheel it through the air and slap it on his back. It would wrap around his entire body and as it started, the gravity started to pull it that way, the Roman soldier would yank it. And what it would do is it would literally start to shred the body. Now, many men in this position, being hit like that, would, of course, drop to his knees. But that didn't stop him. He couldn't go any further because they had the hands held up here. And there he's on his knees, and they still would whip. And pretty soon, for some of them, their whole front was so badly bruised and torn their entire insides would fall. They would die. It was cruel. And that's what they wanted to do to Barabbas, but they didn't want to kill him there. They were going to whip him so badly that when he would be in such horrible pain, he would be within hours, as it were, of dying. Then they would take him, march him up that hill, and in front of all of these people, and there were over a million in Jerusalem at that day, in front of all these people, they would put him on this Roman gibbet and let him hang there. Now, he would not be hanging way up in the air. He'd be about a foot to a foot and a half off the ground. They did this so people could come up, spit in the crucified one's face. They could slap their face. They could mock him. They could do anything they wanted to. And that's what they wanted. And they were going to watch him sit there and watch him slowly die. He was going to die a horrible death because he had tried to overthrow the government and kill a Roman soldier. He killed many. So now he's in prison. He knows what's coming. The feast day is here. He's obviously thinking about his past life. But think of this, gang. Here is he walking, perhaps pacing back and forth. He hears what he would think was thunder. Terrific roar. And all of a sudden he realizes those are human voices. And what are they saying? They're saying something. They're chanting. Literally pouring out their hatred. They're chanting, kill him, crucify him. He thinks they're talking about him. Pacing. All of a sudden, here's what he knew he was going to hear. Here he came. Warden comes down the line. He's got the soldier with him. Come to the door. Open it up. I can see Barabbas trying to act tough. He knows what he's going to go through. It's going to take hours before he dies. But he knows he's a dead man. 
They walk out. They get out to the edge of the prison. And the warden takes his piece of paper and he says, Here! And hands it to him. And Barabbas looks and it's a pardon. He's been set free. He can't believe it. It has to be the biggest shock that he could have. I'm the biggest prisoner they've ever had. They're going to kill me. And he looks at this. I'm free? And the warden would say, Yes, Pilate set you free. Get out. I can see him walk down dazed. I'm free? He can't believe it, but he's got a pardon. He kept that. That was his life extension right there. That keep him alive. He kept it. He walks down to the crowd, and they're milling around, and, and he knows, knows there's got to be something in the middle. And he wonders, who's going to be on that middle cross? My two partners in crime, they're going to die on the outside ones, but who's going to take my place? I can see him push his way through that crowd. He was no, no sissy, I'll tell you. He was a tough guy. Push his way through, and there stands a man. The man is beautiful to behold, obviously. He was the son of God. And he looks, Tertullius tells us, his eyes and his hair were the same color. And there he is, standing there. And I can hear Barabbas grab one of the guys. What did he do? Who is he? He said, he's Jesus. Jesus. You mean the miracle worker? He had heard about Jesus. Everybody had. He was a miracle worker. He'd done literally thousands of miracles. What's he done? He says he's a king. What's he done? I don't know. I don't know. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He hadn't done anything. Worthy of death? Finally, he sees the soldiers come. They make a line through that crowd, take him into a building. Now it's scourging time. They're going to do to Jesus what they were going to do to Barabbas. And when he hears the whistle of the whip, the crowd is silent. They're waiting for the screams. It never comes. Finally, Jesus comes out. He doesn't even look like a human being. The Bible says they so mutilated his face and his body that he doesn't even look human. And when he comes out and they look at him, instead of being sick to their stomachs, they're screaming, kill him! Barabbas obviously had never heard such hatred in all of his life. And they take this Jesus and they put a cross in his back and he falls because he's lost so much blood and they grab Simon a Cyrenian and they carry it up to Calvary. They strip him naked, put him on that cross, drive it in the ground. And all the time Barabbas could be standing there looking saying, that should be me. That should be me. After six long hours of torturous pain, Jesus takes in his body the sins of the world, the Bible says. And when he does, I can see Barabbas watching this ordeal, thinking that should be me. And all of a sudden, it's been darkness now for three hours. The place has been dark. It's, it's, it's scary. And then all of a sudden, he hears something unbelievable. It's an earthquake. The earth quaked and shook. Why? Because at that moment that Jesus took in his body our sins, God took and poured out his wrath on Jesus. Not only did the earth shake, but Barabbas, here's that middle figure, scream. And literally bellers it out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer comes screaming back as it were. Because you've become sin for the world. And God says, I hate sin. Jesus died. He said, it's finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. The Roman soldiers come. The three men are dead. Give him the mallet. 
Comes up to the one crucified. Smashes. Legs break. Other soldier says, I'll take this one. Breaks the legs. Why? In case they weren't dead. When they put them on the garbage dump, they couldn't crawl. They'd already had their pelvis and shoulder bones out of joint. They couldn't use their hands. Now they can't use their feet, their legs. Now they come to the middle cross. But wait a minute. A thousand years before Jesus came, God said to the psalmist, Right! Not a bone of my son shall be broken. And I can see that Roman soldier pick up their mallet, bring it back. And all of a sudden, the God of heaven says, No. And he stops. Now wait a minute. The Roman Empire says, break the legs of the crucified. That's an order. Here, this man is defying the emperor. Why? Because God said, no. And he puts the mallet down. He said, give me a spear. Never been done before. Give me a spear. Yeah. He's dead already, and he jammed a spear in his side. A thousand years before, the Bible says they're going to pierce his side. He went against Rome. A soldier dedicated to die for the Roman emperor. Instead, he defies the Roman emperor, puts the mallet down and takes a spear and jams it in. Bible says blood and water came out. He said, see, he's dead. And they all agree that's okay. They take Jesus down. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, the greatest event outside of the first coming was the resurrection. And the Bible says the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. He was already gone. To let the disciples look in. He is risen. He's not here. Where is he? He's at the right hand of God. The Bible says that's where he is. Now listen, gang. God said, you see that picture of my son? You see what I allowed my son to go through? You see that physical beating? You see that judgment I put on him? You know why? Because of your stinking sins. And God says, now I want you to hear this. If you expect as an as a individual, as a human being, to get into my heaven, you're going to have to come my way. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. You're going to be separated from me forever. Because nothing that defiles is going to enter into my heaven. And only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sins, the Bible says. God, what do you say? God says, this is my son, hear him. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to heaven but by me. God says, all are sinners. There's not one of you kids that ever had to be taught how to be bad. You knew that automatically. Why? Because you have a sinful nature. That's why you do bad things. You don't have to be taught that. You know that automatically. You have to be taught good. Because you're evil as far as your nature is concerned. It's sinful. And God says, you're a sinner. And you get older, you choose to sin. And then God says, you can't save yourself, not by works of righteousness, which you do. Jesus said, I'll give you eternal life. But Jesus said, before I do, you got to turn your back on sin. And you got to invite me into your life. So you invite Christ in. Say, I don't want my sins. I want you, Jesus. You invite him in. And guess what happens? A miracle. You become a child of God. You get your eternal life. You're on your way to heaven. 1920s, before I was born, a man was sentenced to die in the gas chamber in California. He'd committed murder. He was sentenced to die. But he had some friends. And his friends started a write-in campaign. First time I had ever heard of a write-in campaign. They got people to write. First there were a dozen, a few dozens, then a few hundreds, then a few thousands. And letters came in by the thousands. And the governor of California at that time said, we've got literally thousands and thousands of letters in favor of this boy. He said, maybe an injustice is done. 
He went over the case. He said, maybe this was an accident. He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to find out. And if this boy is what I seem to think he is, I'm going to let him go free. A governor can do that. He can write a pardon. So what he did is he wrote a pardon with this kid's name on it. He calls the governor, I mean the, the head of the uh, warden of the prison. He says, this is governor so-and-so. I'm coming down to visit this prisoner. I don't want him to know who I am. I just want to visit him. He said, all right, governor, we're waiting for you. The governor came down with this pardon in his pocket for this boy. Walks in, and the, and the warden kind of smiled. He said, boy, I hardly knew you. He was dressed like a clergyman. He had a reversible collar and had this suit looked like, a, like he was a preacher. He said, don't tell him who I am, but just let him see me. So he went to the door of where the death row is. And the guy's cell was over here so he could see who was there. And the warden goes in and goes to the fellow. He says, come here, there's a visitor for you. Kid comes to the bar, end of the bars, looks and sees what he thinks is a clergyman. He said, I don't want to talk to him. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is very important. This man has some of the best news you'll ever hear. In fact, it's the greatest news you'll ever hear. He said, I don't want to talk to a stinking preacher. He said, wait a minute, let me explain. This is what you want to hear. He's got the best news you'll ever know. The kid started to swear like mad. Get that blankety-blank preacher out of here. Cussed like mad. And the warden looked at the governor who was dressed like a clergyman. And the governor said, it's all right, George. I'm going to God. The kid said, good, get out of here. The guy's marching down the hall. The governor, the warden says, do you know who that was? Sure. He said, a stinking preacher. No. He says, that just looked like a preacher. That was the governor of our state, and he showed me a pardon for your release with your name on it, and you just told him where to go. The kid almost went crazy. Scream, come back. I'm sorry. The governor kept right on walking. That kid died, executed right on schedule. You listen to me, gang. You hear me now. Bible says every single young person, an adult that's not a Christian, are on death row. I didn't say that. God did. He said, you're on death row. You're condemned already. John 3.18, John 3.36, condemned already. You're on death row. I was on death row at 17 years of age. I was ready to be sent forever, separated from God. And along comes Jesus, and he says, I'll give you a pardon. He came to me as a 17-year-old. I was in a meeting, and I heard about Jesus. There was my pardon. Wes, if you'll accept me, I'll give you eternal life, son. I'll never forget it. I was two months from graduating in high school. I was 17 years of age. I was a senior. And I listened to this, and I thought, I want to go to heaven. And all of a sudden, I realized I may be having my last chance. And I'll never forget it. I ran down that aisle when the invitation was given, and I reached up and grabbed the preacher's hand. I said, I want to accept Christ. That night I took the pardon. Kids, if I die tonight, and I could, I'll be in heaven. Have you ever invited Christ in like that? Have you ever said, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, I don't want my sins? Jesus, I want you to come in. If you haven't, you're not going to make it. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what your background is. You can be Protestant, you can be Catholic, you can be Jewish, you can be Muslim, you can be any of that. That doesn't make you ready for heaven. God says, this is my record. Listen to it. If you don't believe my record, God says, you're calling me a liar. God, I wouldn't call you a liar. What's your record? The next verse in the Bible says, and this is the record. God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his son. He or she that hath the son hath life. He or she that hath not the son of God hath not life. Let's pretend my watch is eternal life. My left hand is Jesus. And this is the record. God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his son. 
Jesus. He or she that hath the Son hath life. He or she that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I didn't say that. The God that made you and keeps you alive right now said it. And he says, if you'll invite my son Jesus into your life on his terms, I will guarantee you a home in heaven. I will guarantee you eternal life. Because these things have been written unto you who have received my son, that you may know that you have eternal life. And absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Kids, don't blow it. God may be giving you the last chance. You're on death row. If you're not a Christian, there's the pardon. Don't blow it. Take it tonight. Let's pray. Father, pray these young people who have heard the ears of their heart. I can't do that. You can. I pray that they'll hear and listen and understand and realize that if they haven't invited Jesus in like the Bible says, they're not going to make heaven. Father, I didn't say that. You did. I'm just telling them what you said. They're not joining a church. They're not joining a denomination. They're not doing any of that. What they're doing is inviting you, you, Lord Jesus, into their life so you who have eternal life and you have eternal life can give it to them and they too can become children of God. Right now they're just creatures of God, but they can become children. I pray that they'll invite you into their life tonight. Heads about, eyes are closed. I want no one to look for just a few moments. Here, I want to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Just answer it in your heart. If you should die tonight, would you make heaven? Think about this for a moment. Now, wait a minute. Do you know for sure I am absolutely certain I'd be in heaven? If I die tonight, I know I'd be there because I've done what God said I had to do. If you really know that, I'm inviting you in your heart, not out loud, in your heart, just say thank you to Jesus for giving you eternal life. For those of you sitting here, said, Mr. West, I don't know that. Well, let me ask you this. Would you like to know that? You say, yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't blame you. When I was 17, I said, that's for me. If you would like to know that, you'd like to be sure you're going to heaven, you'd like to be sure you're going to make it, then I'm inviting you right now, not out loud, but in your heart, in your mind, to pray a little prayer after me. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart and mind. You don't have to move your lips because God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows all about you. And you pray this prayer and you mean it, and God will do a miracle for you tonight like he's done for the kids all summer long. Don't pray it out loud, but pray it in quietly in your heart here's the prayer dear God the Bible says I'm a sinner I believe it the Bible says I cannot save myself I believe it the Bible says Jesus died for my sins that he has eternal life to give me I believe it dear God I'm sorry for my sins I repent of my sins I turn from them I don't want them. Wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life right now. I accept thee as my Savior and my Lord. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Heads about, eyes are closed. I want no one to look for just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Listen carefully. Did you pray that prayer? I mean, did you mean it? You say, Mr. West, God knows. I not only prayed that prayer, but I meant it. Now listen carefully. While our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm going to invite you right now, just for a moment, slip your hand up, put it right back down again. If you meant it, well, let me see it. God bless you and 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 you. Good. Right up high. God bless you, kids. Right up high. You can put it down. Others, I meant it, Wes. I wasn't kidding. If you haven't raised your hand, do it right now if you meant it. God bless you and you and you. God bless you, kids. You too. God bless you. Okay, good for you. Good for you. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. Dear Jesus, I see the hands, but you see the hearts. 
as well. And I pray these kids will mean it. This will be a special night for them. They'll never get over it. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed except you kids that raised your hand or you prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant it. I want you to look at me right now. Nobody else, just you. Did you mean it? Shake your head if you meant it. Did you mean it? You weren't fooling, right? Guys, you meant it? Girls, you meant it? All right, if you meant it, if you meant it, I want you to come right now and stand with me right here. Come on.